This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. Tom Barkley has a job you probably have never heard of. At Truestone Financial Credit Union, he is VP Solutions Architecture. What's that mean? Listen to the podcast. He explains in detail. I wanted Barkley to guest on the show precisely because, A, I had never heard of this title, and B, as I thought about it, I realized that more credit unions need a person in this role as they sort through a staggering array of tech options. What are the solutions those options bring with the business units of the credit union need? Does anyone at the credit union need them at all? That's where a VP of Solutions Architecture comes into play. Barclays boss at Truestone is the CTO, Gary Jeter, whom you heard in a podcast last year. There's a link to that show in the show notes. That show was taped at the inaugural CU 2.0 VIP live event in Austin, Texas. This one is taped at the CU 2.0 VIP live event number two in Boulder, Colorado. In Barclays show, you will also hear his discussion of why he went to Trinity College Dublin for his undergraduate education and how a Trinity history major migrated into technology. It's a wonderful story. It's a it's it's you have to hear it. You really do have to hear it. Oh, and the story, by the way, begins with him losing his wallet on his first day in Dublin, coming from small town Wisconsin. It's it's Listen up, you got to hear this. But in this, you'll also hear what he's getting out of CU 2.0 VIP Live. It's a very different kind of credit union fintech event. He tells how it's different. It's a good podcast. It's a different podcast. Listen up. So you're Vice President Solutions Architecture at Truestone Financial. Yep. What the devil is that? (laughs) Um, you know, a lot of it's really looking at kind of the future and, and figuring out where we can go as a as an institution from the tech side. So really, really looking at at, at what tech providers are out there, who we can partner with, you know, who's gonna who's gonna help us give different financial services to our members and and kind of change the way that that we do banking. Um, a lot of that comes from I having uh, spent a lot of the time, a lot of my time in the uh, in the retail and operation side. Um, and then kind of having that technical um, knowledge that came behind that. So I'm, I'm able to go out and, and talk to different fintechs and, and understand the business need that they're, that they're hitting and also kind of understanding of technology behind it. How long have you been with Truestone? Uh, I've been with Truestone for, I think, about 12 years now. What did you start as? I actually started as a banker. Uh, so I started in a, a branch that had, had just opened. So I was part of the uh, inaugural team at that branch. Worked there for a little while, uh, moved, moved to kind of more of a, a corporate role overseeing our, some of our phone bankers, uh, and then moved into a, a different role where I started a, a specialized lending department, uh, that, uh, that did lending. That was, I, I guess the best way to put it is it's kind of indirect for home equity loans. We worked with uh, referral partners and, and did a lot of second mortgages and, and HELOCs and, uh, bridge loans for, for referral partners, um, in kind of a different way. Is the appetite for investing in technology solutions going to decrease in credit unions in the current environment? You know, I think it's 
I, I think there's always a, a hesitation be, as, you know, credit unions, we're, we're all a little bit conservative bankers that, uh, that we all, we all don't love risk. But I think, I think as a lot of credit unions are seeing other credit unions see some value in the investments that they've made, um, see some technology that comes to market a little bit, uh, a little bit quicker from those that are investing in it and, and seeing the ability to shape those, those fintechs. That they invest in and, and the products that they put forward, I think we're going to, I think it's going to stay strong um, because I just, I think right now the industry is starting to wake up more to the ability to invest in it. I think there, there are some credit unions that have really paved the way in that. And I think other credit unions are really starting to notice that. So I think, I think it's, I think it's going to stay um, relatively strong. I also think as, as the market softens maybe a little bit for startups overall, credit unions having an investment in a, a fintech actually helps to make sure that that fintech remains remains solvent and maybe they have a little bit more control over the solvency of that fintech and the fintech you know has them more as an important market um, rather than one that's you know going to serve serve everybody and has grandiose ambitions it, it really makes sure that they have control over that well I think another thing that's happened is and we certainly see this is that more fintechs are interested in pursuing credit union business. I go back 10 years ago when I first started to write about technology and credit unions. A lot of fintechs had no interest in credit unions. Mm-hmm. Navy Federal, yeah, okay, fine. Well, unfortunately, Navy Federal probably doesn't have any interest in you. But, <laughs> but there are these 6,000 other ones from 10 years ago. Yeah, it's more like 5,000 that might have an interest in you. Mm-hmm. But I think nowadays there's there's greater awareness that the opportunity for selling financial technology to money center banks is not great. Yeah, and I think I think there's there's been a, a leveling up in the skill set of fintechs to an extent if they've learned how to sell to to credit unions. That it's a the sales cycle is is different maybe than when they were selling to other fintechs. Um, I I think a lot of a lot of them look at also and see that this the market is is crowded. The acquisition cost of, of customers is high. And if you can if you can go out and instead of being a direct to consumer brand, um, if you can actually be the picks and shovel brand, you know, it's it's the Levi Strauss effect of right. you know, they're seeing that, hey, there's a lot of fintechs that start up, they're direct to consumer, they go for a little bit, maybe they maybe they fizzle out, maybe they succeed. But really the ones and and in technology in general, in, in the history in the history of business, it's often the businesses that sell to other businesses that really uh, really see a lot of success. And, and, and they're the ones that survived the boom and the bust. I mean, like I said, Levi Strauss, it's, it came from the California gold rush. You know, they're in business because, because they sold to the miners. Um, the miners all went out of business. Now, to whom do you report? What, what position? Um, so I report to our CTO. Uh, so TTO Gary uh, and he, Gary Jeter, a past guest on this podcast. Yep. And he's, he's been a, he's been a great leader. He's, he's really, uh, you know, Gives me my gives me a, a bit of free reign to really go out there and, and kind of think of different ideas and and bring back potential partners that we might have even if you know it's it's a problem that we didn't even know we had so you know really is able to sit down and, and listen and, and kind of um, sometimes sometimes uh, humors me on my more grandiose ideas and and we have a good discussion um, that maybe that's not not a fit a fit for us but a good discussion it's you know it's it's worthwhile um, and then you know really supports it when. When we find a, a really good partner uh, that we want to bring in, um, really helps to helps to work with the rest of the business to to bring that uh, bring that partner forward. What's your quota? How many partners are you supposed to bring in? It's not so much a quota. It's more of uh, you know just being out there and understanding what is what is there and and kind of you know um, 
thinking about what's out there. A big, a big chunk of what I do also is, is interfacing with the business to understand what their problems are. You know, I, right. I'm not incredibly, you know, I've, I've been on, on the tech team for a little over two years now. So I'm not incredibly removed from the business side. So I'm, I'm still, still familiar with a lot of the problems that they had or, and now, you know, the, the struggles that they have and um, things that they want to get over, but there, there's always new things that come up. So it, it's something that, you know, making sure I continue to interface with, with business line leaders and, and other leaders in the, in the company is important so that I understand how, what, when I'm out there looking, I got to know what to look for sometimes. Partly you do your research by going to events like this. Do you yep. go to Finnovate? Um, I have not been to Finnovate. Uh, went last year, Money 2020, Money 2020. Uh, Venture Tech, uh, FinTech Meetup uh, were a couple that I, that I went to. And, you know, it's, it's often interesting. It's conferences and events are, are some something I love. Also something that in, in a way it, it I dread a little bit because I know I'm going to come back with so many ideas and my and my brain's not going to function for two weeks uh, because it, it just it's locked up. And like we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. So it's often, you know, I'll often get back from a conference and I'll. I'll need to kind of decompress and, you know, I got to get the ideas through my head before I can talk to anybody about, uh, about, about those potential partners. Um, Cause I'm just going to, it's going to be a stream of consciousness that no one's going to understand when I do that. But that's a, that's the great part of it is that, you know, I I'm learning what's out there. Also, I I'm, I'm learning of, of problems I didn't know I had. And that's, you know, that's the one thing I, I really love about um, events like this, you know, coming and, and, and talking to people and, and finding out that, you know, Hey, here's this problem. I didn't even realize that we had that, but now, now that you stated the problem, yeah, we got that problem and let's, let's go solve it together. Well, the cool part though, is your knowledge of the operations side of your, your credit union. I mean, I, I could write up a memo saying, here are the six technologies you should be looking at mm-hmm. and could be no business entity in your institution has any interest in any of these six. They don't see them as problems and they don't want to budget for it. Because yep. you have some idea of what the what the needs are and what their willingness to pay for is. Yep. Yeah. So and really and you know, a lot of it too is um is if if I see if I see the value sometimes sometimes maybe I have to, you know, I have to put my internal salesman hat on a lot. I have to, I have to go back to them and I have to I maybe have to have a discussion through to to show maybe how this partner can actually help them and and, and how we can change the way we do business. Uh, you know, that we, we have to, we have to sometimes rethink our, our policy, our, not policies, our procedures more to say, you know, are, are we doing things the right way? Could we do it in a more digitized way? Could we, could we, could we leverage technology in a different way? Does that mean that we might have to change, change how we, how we operate a little bit? And, and sometimes it's, it's kind of that discussion that, um, with those, with those business leaders and, and kind of having a, a, a good conversation where say, Hey, let's take a step back and let's look at, let's look at the, the primal problem. And then let's, and then let's look at what our approaches could be rather than, rather than adding a technology onto an existing process. Maybe we take a little bit of a step back and we say, let's change the process to leverage the tech, to leverage technology rather than, rather than augmenting the process. Let's adjust process to, to make that technology possible. Now, you learn to code in Ireland. Um, no, in Ireland, I, so I went to school in Ireland, um, and I got a history degree. So incredibly useful. Uh, I say I've actually learned to code, uh, kind of on my own and kind of a self-taught. It's something that I started to, I started to dabble probably a little bit too much in, in Excel macros and, and automated a few too many things, uh, um, outside of the technology side. Um, and you know, there, there were help desk tickets, I think that sometimes were put in about, uh, technology that I built, uh, maybe through Excel documents that then the IT side had to, 
come and reach out to me and say, hey, you don't have access to the help desk, but can you solve this? And and that kind of led to actual more codified uh, coding learning and and really starting to starting to learn more of the fundamentals of not just coding, um, but also, you know, kind of the tech stack in general and and really kind of broadening broadening how kind of I thought about that. And then as I as I got into actually, you know, coding myself with um, side projects, I also lead our development team as well. So um, I do some coding with them. Um, but that also allowed me to translate that operational knowledge into into that technical knowledge because well, I'm not going to say that I, I'm, I'm the best builder of technology. Like that's why I want to partner with a lot of fintechs who might be the best builder of that technology. Understanding how to build technology allowed me to to help even bridge that gap a little bit more between the operational and the uh, technology side. When did you live in Ireland? Um, I lived in Ireland right after uh, right after high school. So I I um, did my bachelor's degree in Ireland. So went there in uh, went there in 2001. It was it was absolutely worth doing. It it took me out of my comfort zone. Immediately, um, you know, I grew up as a as a kid in a small town in Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm maybe three percent Irish. So there, you know, there's not any any Irish um, specific uh, specific reason for going, but but really took me out of my comfort zone. It also, you know, I mean, in that way, it it kind of helped me in the future embrace change because you know, uprooting my life and just and moving as a conscious decision that I made um, at 18 um, made me realize that. You know what? Change isn't bad. It often changes. Change is awesome, but you have to you have to handle it. You have to manage it, and you have to be thoughtful about it. But but change can make your life better. Well, also, I mean, Trinity College. You go from small town Wisconsin <laughs> to really literally the center of Dublin City. Yeah, it, it, there's millions of people right around you. Yeah, so. yeah. It was it, it was it was a it's a very, it was a very very different uh, different experience. The first night the first night I was there. I, uh, I managed to lose my wallet, um, and about half my funds. Um, fortunately, you know, I was, I was one of those, um, country boys who had a, had a little, uh, um, passport, uh, belt wallet, uh, that had some cashier's checks and, uh, and, and my passport in it. So I didn't lose everything. Um, uh, but it was, you know, that was a, that wasn't the most auspicious start to my, my college career. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it was, it was a blip on the radar and it, it really became, uh, a, a, um, and, you know, an interesting experience. The other, the other thing was, um, you know, with, uh, you know, I think, I think part of, part of the money I lost to that, that time was cashier's check or not cashier's checks, but traveler's checks. And so, you know, when I, when I started in banking later, you know, when we sold traveler's checks, you know, I, some might have coworkers would be like, who wants a traveler's check? And I'd be like, the traveler's checks actually, you know, they could be a good product because you know what? I would have lost that money, but instead I could make a claim against it. Right. Um, and so, you know, having lost traveler's checks was a very interesting experience and it was, you know, something I can, I could, I could relate back to a, what, what could be a traumatic experience. It was a stressful experience. Um, you know, turned into kind of a life lesson and actually, you know, an interesting insight and, in, you know, value of different financial products. So you graduate from Trinity. You come back to America. You don't want to live in Ireland. You know, I, I had a history degree. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with it. I thought maybe I'd continue on the research side. But then, you know, kind of coming back, it's like, you know what, I'm going to get a job and kind of see what I want to do. I uh, went and worked for a bank for, for a little bit. Um, didn't really know credit unions growing up. Uh, but then then I, I had a, a friend who I had worked at the bank with. He he had gone to a credit union and and he said, hey, you know what, we have some open positions over here. Um, so I wound up going to to another credit union before, before Truestone. Um, worked there for about, uh, three years, um, as a, as a banker, uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, had an opportunity 
through some connections that I had um, with Truestone, which had kind of just undergone a management change and and was 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 starting to really grow it, to go over there and uh, it jumped at that opportunity and it's it's been a it's been a great time since at Trinity it's a little bit different there's really no generals it was all history so four years of just history courses so really didn't get exposed to those those other uh, those other disciplines like I may have gotten exposed to you know in at a U.S. college but you know learned a lot about history learned a lot about you know kind of research um, you know being able to being able to kind of grab at ideas that aren't readily, you know, just readily apparent, you know, through archival research where, you know, it's not a, you're not reading a book where someone's regurgitating information to you. You're having to, to kind of learn it on your own. So really, really learn that, which came incredibly handy later, you know, for, you know, looking at data, which is, you know, something that, that I, that I've dabbled in um, as part of my job roles in the past. Um, and, and just looking at what our problems are, you know, not, not having a structured question in front of you. That's something that I really learned from, you know, that history education, it was later in life that I that I kind of came back. I came to coding, and I realized, hey, you know what? You can do a lot with uh, with technology and do that. And that was, I'd say, that that's a regret that I have. Of it would have been, you know, if I'd kind of gone down that path earlier, I, I think it would have been uh, would would have been a lot more lot lot more a lot more fun early on, and a little bit less uh, less having to do the the sales side, which I, I found I was good at, but not not I was in love with. At, at the same time, though, I, I think the way that I the way that my career has progressed of having been in the sales, been in the operation side, that that gives me a very unique perspective in my role. Of I, I can understand those needs um, and I can also understand the tech side. And I think if, if I hadn't gone down that path, if I'd gone a pure tech path, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have that knowledge of how the business needs to operate. Oftentimes a propeller head falls in, falls in love with something because it's really, really, really elegant technology. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that an operations person ever wants to try to implement this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's beautiful. Yep. Keep it for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Take it home. Yeah. Play with it in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there anything here, and I'm not going to ask you to name individual companies, but anything here that interests you? You know, I think, I think at this specific event, um, a, a big part of it is just really the open discussions and, and, and being able to connect with other people that, that are in that uh, in both the credit union and the fintech worlds. You might have a connection maybe later where where we talk about more maybe about a product for an institution, but the conversations really aren't aren't around that. Um, they're they're really about connecting as as an industry to each other because um, fintechs are part of our industry. You know, credit unions and fintechs we're you know they're the picks and shovels for us being on the front lines. And, and so, so really having those, having those connections and those, those, those good discussions and, and kind of seeing, you know, where things are going. I found that I, I found that a lot of relationships that I really respect and, and have, have been fruitful from, you know, potential partners, whether, whether or not we didn't, we selected the, the product or not, or maybe just didn't have a need at the time. It might be a future product that we look at. But a lot of those are, you know, I, I may have met a, a potential fintech partner in, you know, a, a different conference that had kind of more of that, you know, we're going to do the, you know, this, the sales pitch meetings, that type of thing. But I, I've, I've gathered a lot of, um, you know, kind of follow on conversations from those, uh, from those discussions, um, and, and really, um, engage with people that, that I respect and I trust and, and, you know, that, that I can, I can then turn to for, for advice or, or consult 
you know, about, about other things. If maybe we're looking at a different product or, or things like that, maybe a product that's not their product, but they know the environment a little bit more. I can trust them. And I can also kind of get a gauge on maybe where, you know, what, what some new emerging things are that they're seeing um, from a different perspective. Um, so I, I value those relationships. And I think this conference, this conference in a lot of ways, caters to building those immediately, but also kind of just even facilitating that open discussion uh, that is uh, that that's that's there really outside of that. Uh, outside I, I've, of that. I've been to a lot of conferences where essentially the tech companies give what amounts to a five or 10 minute sales presentation. Yep. You don't see that here. There's nothing yep. wrong with that five or 10 minute sales presentation, but you're not going to see that here. What you will see here, 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 is it intellectual discussion of, well, is AI really going to transform banking as yeah. we know it? And right now the opinion seems to be, yeah, but then there's going to be more discussion about, well, okay, yeah, how? Yep. You know, it's, I, I, I agree with you. It's going to change things, but how? To, to, and what do I need to do about it? What should I be thinking about? Yeah, and it's, and having those, yeah, those real intellectual um, discussions, it's, it's, not about, it's not about the product that someone's, there, there's several companies that, that use AI that are here. And, and, and the discussion here, to your point, is they're not selling their product. They're, uh, they're, they're here because they're valuable partners, but really they're, a big part of the value that they're bringing to that conversation is they are the experts in AI. They're the ones who deal with AI. They might, right. they might not deal in every part of AI, but, but all of a sudden you can have that conversation about how will maybe – what areas will AI affect in banking in the future and how will it help enable it? Not from the person who is trying to sell you a product, but from a person who is working in AI, who maybe, you know, two months from now, you might meet up with a, a sales pitch, but, but you're having that, that great conversation to say, you know what, you have, you have the expert and, and you can, you know, you can build that, build that discussion. I think it, it's also a discussion where since, since those, those partners aren't necessarily in sales mode, they can have that conversation and they're doing market research on us, you know, in a way too, through great discussions of, you know, what, what are your pain points? And, right. and, and then, you know, if, if there's a, a, a company that is leveraging AI, maybe they, maybe they change to leverage AI in a different way to address different pain points and can kind of dis- discuss that. It, it's really, it's, it's beneficial on it's, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship and, and really building the symbiotic conversation of, you know, each side is really getting something from that conversation and, and being able to, to get some takeaways and potentially some, uh, some, you know, some things that, that can be done out of it. Yeah. A year ago. And what's interesting to me about AI is a year ago, I would have said to an AI company for our credit union, Hey, this sounds cool, but right now you're a nice to have thing. Not mm-hmm. a, not a, I gotta have it. Yep. It's uh, and now I think the, the speed, the velocity is changing. Where yeah. Maybe I gotta have it or I, 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 maybe, I don't know if I gotta have it of my credit union, but I gotta be thinking about it. And I think, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I've, I've discussed it with a couple of people here and it, it's something that I've heard just from, from generally listening to podcasts and, um, kind of, you know, across the, the, the tech spectrum. Um, it's, it's the interesting new role too of AI might not be something that maybe is member facing. It might, it might not be something that, um, is always even employee facing. It, it might, it, it might be this, um, this kind of, this interesting thing of AI may help it in some ways. You know, we, we've seen now with chat GPT. Um, AI helps at the margins. It doesn't, AI doesn't necessarily on its own solve a problem. Um, but maybe you, you know, the, the whole new role, and I don't know if you've come across it, of a prompt engineer, of it's essentially, it, it's someone who, you know, it, 
in, in a way, you know, think of it kind of the, the business analysts, um, you know, between the business and the tech side. Um, so, you know, you had a, a business analyst, um, who would, who would kind of translate the, the business needs into, you know, how we can handle the tech or, you know, especially on the data side of, you know, the business needs some data while well, they're not going to be able to write their own SQL queries. They might not always ask the right questions. And so you have that, you have that uh, analyst or data scientist maybe as the, the intermediary between the data sets and, and the business. And now, um, kind of this new role that's emerging that, that I find really, really intriguing is the prompt engineer, which is to say, AI can do some amazing things, but it can also do some amazing things, or it can also do amazingly bad. And so having that, yeah. having that prompt engineer, it's, it's that role that says you have somebody now who understands the limitations of the AI, who doesn't necessarily have to understand how the AI works fully, um, but can take those business questions, those business needs, and then leverage the AI to do it. Um, so there's companies that they're looking at, uh, you know, possibly putting an AI, you know, to, to query data, but you really need somebody to, to be in front of that AI to ask the right questions. You won't necessarily go to your, to your business owners and say, Hey, you know what? Here's this new AI tool. It's going to answer all your questions because it's going to come back with the wrong questions. So you, you need a filter and that filter might be a person, um, or is usually a person, but now you put a person in front of it. But what you're doing is you're putting a person combined with an AI and those two together are doing the work of 10 people. Um, and so, so really, you know, kind of that, that, that new, that new idea of kind of the, the prompt engineer, it's, it's a bit, uh, you know, for, I think in the chess world, um, for a while, you know, you had, uh, you had no AI could beat a human. Then all of a sudden, you know, AI could beat a human. And then they're like, well, that, this is the end, right? Cause you know, now that AI is one on chess, um, but then they realized what they could actually do is what about when you brought a human and an AI together? Um, and so when they paired a human and an AI, you got the best of both worlds. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was the best chess player isn't an AI. It isn't a human. It's a human and an AI together. Um, and, and really pairing those two, because there are limitations with AI, but putting the right person in with that to work with that AI, you can, you can, uh, hedge against so many of those limitations that you can, you can make a very effective, an effective team and effective product out of, out of having those two combined. Now, when you finish up here, will you write a report to Gary Jeter about what interested you here? Um, you know, I think usually we'll have a debrief after after conferences to kind of go, you know, right. go through, uh, you know, what what we learned. Um, you, usually, it's it's not necessarily. Uh, I I I am the person never to hold back, so you know, I he'll he'll usually hear about anything new that I find interesting pretty quickly. Um, so it's, it's often, you know, kind of a stream of consciousness, uh, discussion that, you know, I throw out maybe an idea that, that, that I learned or, or something like that, or kind of discuss it right away. Gary's always been, you know, pretty good about, uh, you know, not, not asking for that. But I, I also think that, you know, because I, I have a problem shutting up. So, uh, he, he's going to hear about it anyways. He, you know, he, maybe he'd ask in a month if he hadn't heard anything about it. About an event that I went to, but I think gonna, he'll ask in a week if he hasn't heard anything. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's gonna hear every. He's gonna. I mean, he's he knows you, man. Yeah. <laughs> the CU two podcast.